Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Well, today, you know, to think I was kind of a little, I wasn't really anxious or anything, but I had less time to prepare this week than normal, so I was a little, little rushed, and, you know, just thinking... Am I going to get it all, get it all done? And then this is God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. So, but Hey, it's good to prepare. Really what it's about is um, we need to be always ready. And what that means is just be having a lifestyle of fellowship with the Lord and minister to one another out of that overflow. You know, if I have to, you know, if, if you can't come up here and stand and, and, share about God from that overflow. If you have to study for, you know, hours and hours just to have something to share that would benefit his people, then, you know, maybe I'm not, you know, walking the way I should. And that's not just me. That's all of us. We need to be ready to minister out of that overflow. But God's willing to do that, to do that in our lives. Today, I just want to, I want to ask you this question. I want to talk about, uh, we've been talking about um, Jesus invading Knoxville, invading the church, you know, as if Jesus, when, when that verse said the, the bright, the light shining in the darkness was because Jesus moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. And I asked the question, well, what if Jesus would move to Knoxville? What kinds of things might happen? And, uh, well, hang on, because he did move to Knoxville because he's here. He's in you. He's in this church. Let's just, let's roll with him. Let's hang with him and see what he'll do. Amen. Today, though, I want to introduce kind of a new idea because we're done with our 21 days. I want to talk about Jesus's ministry at the right hand of the Father. And what I want to talk to to you today about is the two sides of salvation, being the legal side and the powerful, living, vital side. Okay. And to explain what I mean, let me ask you this. Um, You ever been driving down the road and a policeman comes up behind you and puts his lights on, pull you over? It's not a great feeling, is it? <laughs> never, it's never happened to you? Never? Never? It has? Okay, <laughs> okay. I was looking for another wisecrack over there. <laughs> no, but anyway, the, the question is, does he, have the, um, does he have the legal right to pull you over? Yes, he does, right? But what if you don't stop? Will those lights... Pull, will those lights, do those lights have the power, those lights representing the authority to pull you over? Do those lights have the ability to make you stop? What he does is he calls a bunch of his buddies, and they come over there, and they will ram you, and they will run you off the road. They will put down a tax strip and blow out all your tires. They will do whatever it takes to stop you, right? Because not only does the policeman have the legal right to do it, he also has the power to make it happen. Got it? The legal side the power side. If you've ever rented a house or if you've ever been a landlord, imagine this scenario. The renter doesn't pay. So you ask him nicely to leave. And he says, no, I don't want to leave. And he just stays there, right? What do you do? You go, you go and you go to a court and you have a legal action taken that says he has to go. And you get a, you know, a piece of paper, a judgment, eviction notice, right? You deliver it. Does that eviction notice have the power to make him leave the house? No. What do you do? Then you go call the police again. <laughs> and they come in, 
and they physically remove him because at some point you may, if somebody doesn't respect authority, what you need is you need ability. You need power to take what is legally yours and make it happen. I've got news for you. The devil does not respect authority. So it makes him a thief. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't keep the laws, doesn't care about the laws. So Jesus gave us authority and power. And there's two sides of salvation that correspond with this. There's the legal side. The legal side, you know, is the, the courtroom. It's what actually happened. That the fact that Jesus carried the punishment that should be ours because of the sin, right? That Jesus carried our sickness and diseases in his own body. That he bore those stripes on our behalf, right? This is legal stuff because he did this and it happened. The fact that through some heavenly transaction, which I don't understand fully, but the book of Romans uh, describes it, that we have been counted righteous. Somehow on the ledger, our sin was blotted out and Jesus' righteousness was written there in our, in our account. It's legal, okay? So the work of Jesus at the cross provided all of these things legally. I'm going to suggest to you today and go through some scriptures and demonstrate it that the work of Jesus at the right hand of the Father as he ascended brings power to your life to make everything that he won for you legally yours in reality. Jesus' work at the cross made us legally right with the Father. But Jesus' work at the right hand of the Father is what makes us like the Father. Jesus' work at the cross made us legally healed. But Jesus' work at the right hand of the Father actually changes our bodies and makes them well. Jesus' work at the cross paid for our peace. You know, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. But Jesus' work at the right hand of the Father can make men who are locked in an inner prison with their feet in shackles sing praises to God in the middle of the mess until the earthquake comes and busts the jail open and they all get free. Because Jesus went to the Father, we can experience what God has for us. What we don't want to do is settle for a watered-down Christianity that just gives us a legal standing, but that does not have the power to change our lives. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. What good would it be to be, you know, to have a doctor who examines you and pronounces you, you know, pronounces you cured, but you still die of a disease, right? You'd go get, get another doctor, wouldn't you? Well, what good would it be for him to just declare us, you know, declare us free of sin, yet we still are in bondage to sin every day in our lives? He wants us to be free. He came to set us free. It's all about freedom with him. He doesn't want anything having a claim on you because you're his. You're 100% his. The devil doesn't have a claim on you. Sin doesn't have a claim on you. Sickness doesn't have a claim on you. He wants you to be free, to be his, to be his people, and to serve them, to serve him and serve one another. So I've got this question. In the opening of the book of Acts, immediately after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there is a single miracle that gets a ton of attention. A whole chapter and a half is given to this one miracle. <clears throat> and whenever I see something that has so much attention given to it, um, I, I ask the question, why? 
why do they take an hour and a half or hour and a half, a chapter and a half talking about this. And I'm speaking about the lame man who was healed by the gate beautiful when Peter and John walked by. And I'm, I'm wondering about the significance of this miracle because Peter and John and all the disciples, they'd been with Jesus for over three years. They've already seen a ton of miracles. They've done miracles themselves under Jesus's ministry. Just listen to some of the things that they've seen and done. Matthew 15, uh, 30, 31. This is Jesus ministering to the multitudes great multitudes came to him bringing with them those who are lame crippled blind dumb and many others and they laid them down at his feet and he healed them so that the multitude marveled as they saw the dumb speaking the crippled restored and the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified the god of israel do you hear what happened there they brought multitudes People with twisted up arms and legs who could not walk, they had to be carried. Some of them were probably missing body parts. They laid them down, multitudes, at Jesus, and they healed them all. And he, the Bible handles this in two verses. And here's one cripple, and the Bible gives a whole chapter and a half to it. So I'm just like, I'm asking why. So that was Jesus, but what about the 12? If you go to Luke uh, chapter 9, starting at verse 1, Jesus calls the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority. What were we talking about when we started? Power and authority. He gave them both to deal with the devil. He gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Were they successful? Yeah, they were. There's only one time that in the Bible that they document that they weren't successful, and Jesus was kind of irritated. He said, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long do I have to put up with you? And then he did the miracle himself. But they were successful in what he told them to do. So they're out here doing this. So these Peter and John, the 12 include them. So they're walking by this one man at the gate. Why is it so significant that they healed this one man? If you're in Luke with me, skip over to the next chapter, chapter 10. Go to Luke 10, verse 1. The Lord sent out 72 others, not the 12, 72 more people. Now, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two and two ahead of him into every city and place where he himself was going to come. That means he had 36 teams in addition to the 12 that he sent out. To town, from town to town. You kind of miss that in the movies and stuff. They don't really show that. He had, he had 36 teams, two by two he sent out, plus the 12, who were going into all the villages where he was going to come, and they were proclaiming the kingdom and healing the sick. So there was healing and miracles all over the place. When you go to verse 9, it says, um, and heal those in it who are sick, and say to them, the kingdom of heaven has come near you. That was their job. Verse 17 the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they were successful, right? Miracles, miracles, miracles. Everywhere a miracle. So common. There are miracles everywhere. So why in the world does Acts give a chapter and a half to this one? Go to Acts chapter 3 with me. We're going to read it. Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb, okay, a lame man from his mother's womb, okay, they brought the lame to Jesus and the crippled, so this is nothing new. I've seen this before, I've seen this be healed before. 
he was he was lame from his mother's womb. He was being carried along, and they used to sit they used to sit him down every day at a gate by the temple called Beautiful in order to beg alms for those who were entering the temple. Now, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, look at us. And I'm kind of guessing the autopilot's kicking in here because they've been doing this, right? They'd been doing this. Look at us. And uh, he gave them their attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by his right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. It's an awesome miracle, right? Very cool. I love when they do go into descriptions about a miracle because you see how he did it, how he prayed, what he did. The guy grabbed him by the hand and jerked him up while he was still crippled. And somehow... The time when, as he said, walk and grab him, the power of God hit him and he walked and jumped and praised God. I like it. But here's why that miracle is significant. This was the very first miracle performed after Jesus went to the Father. There must have been some question, you know, after Jesus rose from the dead, you know, he gave them the Great Commission. He said, John, uh, let's see. Well, yeah, he gave him the Great Commission. He said things like this, John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. Greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And nobody really knew what going to the Father meant, you know. John 16, 7. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's actually better for you if I go. For if I don't go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And I can see the disciples saying, where are you going and who is the helper? <laughs> You're about to find out. <laughs> Luke 24, 49. I am sending forth the promise of my father upon you, he said. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So here they are waiting in Jerusalem for weeks. It was weeks. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes, fills the room and all that. And then this first miracle happens, boom, and it answered the question that must have been in everybody's minds. Will Jesus' ministry continue? And the answer is yes. Jesus' ministry is going to continue on the earth in the same way that it did with Jesus, but now only more so. Amen? That is good stuff. Jesus' ministry is continuing, and it's not going to retreat. It's not going to change. It's going to increase. It's going to go forward. It's going to work through the church. It's going to work through this church. It's going to work through you. And boy, did it ever increase just in the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts this week, you'll know that in Acts chapter 5, just two chapters later, remember Peter's shadow? 5.15. They even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of one of them. And also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. All of them being healed. This is not Jesus in the flesh. This is Jesus at the right hand of the Father. You understand? Through Peter. And then there's this man named Philip. He's not even the disciple, one of the 12. 
He's just another guy. He was a table waiter in the early church. He was one of the early deacons. They said they, the, the apostles decided that they were too busy to worry about waiting tables. They said, we need to give ourselves to the word and prayer. So they get these seven deacons, and one of them's name is Philip, and he's in charge of distributing the food in, in, in the early church. But he goes down to Samaria, and it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 6, And the multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip. And they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them and shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. Many, not just one at the gate, many. These miracles are exploding all over the place. Do you remember Paul in Ephesus? Uh, Acts 19, verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that with handkerchiefs or ink, handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out extraordinary miracles if the bible talks about extraordinary miracles that means that there is such a thing as an ordinary miracle how many of you guys could use just an ordinary miracle i mean i'd take an ordinary miracle would you but here god is doing extraordinary things through paul and then you get to the very last chapter of the book of Acts. And I missed this for years. One day I saw it. I was like, oh, my goodness, everybody on that island was healed. Remember the shipwreck? Yeah. And, and the viper got on Paul's hand. He shakes it off into the fire. And then he went to the chief official and he prayed for his father and he was healed. Right. And then it says, Acts 28, 9. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. It's like one short sentence, the whole island. You know what I'm saying? It's just they became so prolific, the miracles and the power of God. That's what I'm talking about. This is the ministry of Jesus at the right hand of the Father. The only people who limit it is us. If we'll believe it and run in it, who knows what we can do? Who knows what we can experience? We are actually living today in the book of Acts. Have you, have you guys... You know, when you get to the book, end of the book of Acts, I don't know about you, but honestly, as far as a piece of literature, if you're looking for a big climactic ending, like, you know, Paul gets to actually preach to, you know, the emperor or something, it's kind of a letdown, right? The book just ends. He goes to Rome. He preaches. He's still kind of under house arrest. He's still having trouble. And then it ends. It actually ends with a rebuke to the Jewish people, you know, that you guys are stiff-necked and you still don't believe the word of God, you know? That's it. Why? Well, because it didn't really end, did it? I think there's going to be a chapter in the book of Acts that's still being written in heaven, you know, that has Emmanuel Assembly of God in it. Right? I hope it's a good chapter. I hope it's not like one of them bad chapters like they stoned him and threw him <laughs> outside of the city. <laughs> I hope I hope Emmanuel Assembly of God's in there and, you know, there's something good about the, you know, something that God's doing in Knoxville. <laughs> It'd be pretty cool. I'll look y'all up when I get there. When Jesus began his public ministry, he went to the synagogue in Nazareth where he began. And uh, he opened up the book to a place where it was written. They handed him the book of Isaiah. Go with me to Luke chapter 4. We're going to read this together. He went into the synagogue. They handed him the book of Isaiah. And he opened it up and it says he found this place. And he said this, the spirit of the Lord, Luke 4.18 the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, 
to set free those who are downtrodden to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's our mission. Do you know why I know that's our mission? Because that's his mission. It didn't change. We can sit here and we can write mission statements about, you know, what we think the mission is for our church. But really, what, what we can do is we can say, how are we going to do this? Because this hasn't changed. This is still the mission of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's the mission of his church. He closed the book then. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today is a new day. Today, this prophecy in Isaiah is going to happen because I'm here. But what I want you to get is something even more than just today. Think of today as a a special place in time that is still happening today. He launched a new time period called today. That's why Hebrews says Today, if you hear his voice, today, as long as it's still called today. In fact, go to, go to Hebrews with me. Let's look that up. Hebrews uh, chapter 3. Get it out of my Bible here. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. Starting at verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, I don't think I gave this one to you guys to put up. That's okay. I'll read it. Just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. So this is talking about the Israelites in the wilderness. They're actually testing God. Therefore, I was angry with this generation, and I said they always go astray in their heart. And they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So basically, the author of Hebrews here is just saying, hey, these people went astray. They didn't cooperate with God. They, they resisted him. They rejected him. And so they are not going to enter into his promise, into his rest. So he's using that as a warning for us because verse 12 says this. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another, encourage one another. That's what we're here for, to encourage one another. Day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me. Today, you see, there's a time period where Jesus's ministry is being fulfilled on the earth. It's called today. Jesus said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And even now, anyone who will enter in and hear his voice and step into a relationship with him steps into today. In this time period called today, you have the freedom to step into God, into what he's doing today. Go with me to Isaiah 61. Now, let me go ahead and hit this. I, I spoke of this um, on a Wednesday. For those who are here, this will be a little bit of a repeat. I just want to read the first two verses of Isaiah 61. Because when Jesus walked into that synagogue, um, 
he, he took the book of Isaiah the prophet. And this is a neat little thing what he did because he found the place. In other words, he looked for it and found a spot and he began to read. This is what he read. Isaiah 61, chapter 1, 61, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, comma. There's a comma in my Bible. He stopped there on the comma. But the next words that were in front of his eyes were this, and the day of vengeance of our God. Why did he stop there? Because it's not the day of vengeance yet. It's still today. You get it? We're living in a time period. The Bible actually calls it the last days or the end times that Jesus paused on a comma. He on purpose did not read that next line because it's not time yet. We've been living in a 2,000-year pause right there at that comma, and we're going to stay there until Jesus' work is accomplished through the church. And what's the next thing on the calendar? The day of vengeance of our God. Amen? After I proposed to Rinkim, she had to stay in India for nine months before we could be together. Facebook, Skype, Dial 91, international calling. When I had to, um, when I had to prove, we, you know, when you, when you bring somebody in from another country to marry them, you have to prove uh, that you have a, a relationship, right? So, you know, seeing how I had my Skype records and everything, I could document we, we talked for several months, 40 hours a month on Skype. And that was just Skype. That wasn't counting the Facebook messages and all that that was happening at the same time. We talked for, I don't know how I did that. I'd go home and it was late at night and I, I would, after work, I would eat. I would start studying because I was in school. And I would study till about 12, 1230 when she woke up. And then, um, and then we talked till about two in the morning every night. I was getting really tired. She had to come soon because if she didn't come, I don't know how I was going to keep that up. But, um, you know, the whole goal for all, what's the whole goal? All the Facebook messages, all the emails, all the, all the Skype conversations. The goal of that was to build a relationship with a person, her, right? It wasn't so that I could build a relationship with my computer. Jesus said to the, to the Jews, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's these that bear witness of me, and you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I wasn't there just to get more acquainted with my computer. I was there because on the other end of that computer was a real person. Well, God gave us this book. And this book has got a lot of stuff in there, but it's just legal if we don't come to the person of Jesus Christ. But the good news is he's on the other side of the book, if you will. Actually, he's watching over his word to perform it. He's in it. Nobody wants just to come into a legal understanding of God. The cool thing is we can have a living relationship with God. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to read you this prayer in Ephesians.
If you'll go with me, find Ephesians chapter 1. Starting at verse 15. Yeah, we'll start it. Yeah, verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, which, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And then this is the prayer that Paul is praying for the Ephesians. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. My prayer is for this church, for myself, for this body, that we would have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Not knowing about him, not hearing somebody talk about him, but that we would know him experientially in a real way. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Okay, you know, you've got physical eyes, but you also have an inner eye and an inner ear, the eyes of your heart. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. He wants you to know some things for certain, the hope of his calling, that you may know what are the riches of the glory in his inheritance in the saints. And that you may know, verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. He wants us to know his power, his ability, not just the legal, but the living, not just the authority, but the power. That's his desire for us. And that's his prayer for us. And that's where we are going. Amen. So let me just go ahead and uh, let's dismiss with a prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you do watch over your word to perform it. And I thank you that this word, this gospel, this message is the power. But Lord, let us not be those kind of people who just get all into the nitty-gritty of the details and never step into the fullness of what you have. Father, my prayer for this body as you take us to where you want us to go is that everything we read in the word, everything we see in the word, everything that we know to be true, you make it real in our lives. Lord, that you would make it alive to us so that we can experience the fullness of what you are doing and what you want to do. Lord, let us not be like the people who would hinder you or resist you or be in unbelief, but let us roll with you and let us move forward into everything that you've called us to do in Jesus Christ. Father, take these words that are on this page and put them in our hearts and in our minds and make them alive by your spirit. Take us into the reality of the relationship that you desire to have with us because it was you who reached out to us. It's you who wrote this book. It's you who sent the spirit. It's you who did these things. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we can yield to it and we can walk in the fullness of it in greater and greater and greater measure. Thank you, Lord, for the things that you've been doing in this church, even in the last weeks, in our Wednesday night meetings. We, we see your hand moving, Lord, and we're excited about it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.